As you may know, we can't just have one day in society where people just put politics aside and go along to get along, especially when an event has nothing to do with what they are actually protesting. Let's dig in. Facts over facts over tracks is a mess, spitting slow, spitting fast. I could roast, I could gas, think I'm okay at last, but I don't know if that can erase all the past. Even though you ate until you felt as though you were going to explode and you shopped until you dropped, it doesn't mean that other people were having just as much fun. Turning to New York, where Macy's held their annual parade to celebrate Thanksgiving, we saw a group of protesters sitting in front of where the parade was going to come through and glued themselves to the street. They put fake blood on their shirt in some of the protesters shirts read genocide and others read capitalism they then glued themselves to the ground so of course this made police come over to them and tried to get all of them all of the way and off of the ground little did the police know that the neanderthal glued himself to the ground as we can see in this video They didn't have much time to get him out of the way and they ultimately had to divert the whole entire parade because of this one guy. For that, I say good job to the police department NYPD. I would have just left him there and had the parade run him over. He put himself there, not anyone else. So to the officers that responded to this, more of this please. These protesters need a little repercussion for their actions. Also, if they really want to have a political moment, then they should turn on the TV literally any other day. Thanksgiving, as I talked about a couple of days ago, is a day to come together as one family to thank everybody for being there. That's why we shouldn't call it Turkey Day. Nonetheless, talking about stuffing your face, PETA, the vegan organization hell-bent on forcing people to stop eating meat, but fails every time, yeah, that one, posted on Thanksgiving telling people that it is horrible that we eat turkeys and it would be horrible if turkeys ate us, which is true, but that's only true because it is actually very weird that anybody was even going to think about that. They want us to stop eating animals and turn to what? humans, this will not happen without a fight, and I will be at the forefront of that fight if they do say any of this. With that being said, let's dig into the headlines of the week. So starting off with a Daily Wire article, we actually have Israel approves deal to get 550 hostages back from Hamas terrorists. So, Israeli officials voted on Wednesday morning local time to approve a deal in which dozens of hostages kidnapped by Hamas would be let go in exchange for Israel releasing some Palestinian women and minors convicted of crimes from prisons inside Israel. Hamas will release 12 to 13 hostages a day for four days in exchange for a ceasefire during that period of time. The Times of Israel reported Israel will, re will release about three times that number to return to their homes in Jirda and Samaria in East Jerusalem. Israel also reportedly agreed to follow to allow fuel to go into Gaza as well as a quote-unquote significant amount of humanitarian aid. 
the report said. Israel's military and security agencies all reportedly supported the deal. It's not clear when the ceasefire will go into effect. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu reportedly demanded that some of the conditions include the possibility for further hostages to be released after the four-day pause. A commitment to, by Hamas to locate and find hostages held by, another, by other terrorist groups inside of Gaza and a refusal to release Palestinians from Israeli prisons who have been convicted of murder, the report noted, adding that Israel believes Hamas can help locate 30 additional women and children who are taken hostage by other terrorist groups. Quote, we are at war and we continue to be at war, Netanyahu said. We will continue to be at, we will continue to be at war until we achieve all of our war aims to eliminate Hamas, return all the hostages and are missing that are missing, and ensure that there is no element in Gaza that re that threatens Israel. The IDF, Shen Bet, and Mossad quote have made it completely clear in their professional assessment that the security of our forces will be endured ensured during the pause and that the intelligence effort will be maintained in those days, he continued. Quote they have made it clear that not only will the war effort not be harmed, it will enable the IDF to prepare for the continuation of the fighting. Now, people are freaking out about Israel and saying, oh my god, why did Israel even do this? Why did they retaliate? Why do you think that they retaliated? Like, are we really having this conversation right now? Of course, Israel is going to retaliate. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's so apparent on why they actually retaliated. It's not even a question at this point. So I just don't understand the people that are sitting here saying, oh, well, they shouldn't have retaliated in this way. They should have went a less harsher way. But if you don't start off the harshness of it, then you're not going to get anything done. If they didn't just start right off the bat saying, no, we're going to kill all of the terrorists that were responsible for that day, then Hamas would not take Israel seriously. And then they would just do it again and again and again and again. We're not going to have this done. This is the year 2023. It's not a um, it's not a you know a long a galaxy far far away a long long time ago. No, it's not. So it's the year 2023. This is a the 21st century, even the 2020 the 22nd century in some places like China, which has technology all over the place. But nonetheless, we should not be doing this barbaric um, excuses for for our daily life because it, it's just not right. It's it's not right for us to go back in time and say you know what. We're actually going to um, and be barbaric. No, we should not be barbaric in any of our actions. So that's exactly what Hamas wants to do. But speaking of barbaric actions, we actually have a report from the AP News. We have somebody actually stabbed George Floyd's quote-unquote killer, Derek Shelvin. Now, obviously, there are a lot of um, people that have their opinions about that. I'm only going to stick to what the court actually decided. I'm not going to get into my opinion on this matter. Because um, because I just don't feel the need in saying my opinion because it really does not matter. Look, Derek Shelvin was actually convicted of murdering George Floyd. Whether you believe that he did murder George Floyd or if he did not murder George Floyd, for me, it does not matter my opinion. So I'm just going to continue on with this AP News article. So Derek Chauvin, the former Minneapolis police officer convicted of murdering George Floyd, was stabbed by another inmate and seriously injured Friday at a federal prison in Arizona. A person familiar with the matter told the Associated Press. The attack happened at a federal correctional institution, Tuscan, a medium security prison that has been plagued by security lapse and staffing shortages. The person was not author authorized to publicly discuss details of the attack and spoke to the AP on the condemnation of anonymity. The Bureau of Prisons confirmed that an in incarcerated person 
was assaulted at FCI Tuscan at around 12.30 p.m. local time on Friday. In a statement, the agency said responding employees contained the incident and performed life-saving measures before the inmate it did not name was taken into the hospital for further treatment and evaluation. No employees were injured and the FBI was noted. The Bureau of Prison, Prison said visiting at the facility, which was about 380 inmates, has been suspended. Um, messages seeking comment were left with Chauvin's lawyers and the FBI. Chauvin's stabbing is the second high-profile attack on a, a federal prisoner in the last five months. In July, disgraced sports doctor Larry Nasser was stabbed by a fellow inmate at a federal penitentiary in Florida. It is also the second major incident at the Tuscan Federal Prison in a little over a year. In November 22nd, 2022, an inmate at the facility's low-security prison camp pulled out a gun and attempted to shoot a visitor in the head, which is just crazy. The weapon, which an inmate shouldn't have ha even had, misfired, and no one was hurt. How? Okay, so let me get this right. An inmate had a gun, had bullets in the gun, and misused the gun. How does this even happen? Like, I know how, how gun accidents happen. I went to gun certification courses and stuff like that. But the thing is, how is it that a prisoner even has a gun? How is that even a thing that could even happen? Chauvin, 47, was sent to FCI Toskin for maximum security Minnesota State Prison in August of 2022 to simulis, sim, simultaneously serve a 21-year federal sentence for violating Floyd's civil rights, and a 22-and-a-half-year state sentence for a second-degree murder. Shelvin's lawyer, Eric Nelson, also had advocated for keeping him out of general population and away from other inmates, anticipating he'd be a target. In Minnesota, Shelvin was mainly kept in solitary confinement, largely for his own per um, protection, Nelson wrote in court papers last year. Last week, the United States Supreme Court rejected Chauvin's appeal of his murder conviction. Separately, Chauvin is making a long-shot bid to overturn his federal guilty plea, claiming new evidence shows that he, did not, he didn't cause Floyd's death. Floyd, who was black, died on May 25, 2020, after Chauvin. Okay, so now we're going into, um, we're actually going into the situation that happened or did not happen, as they say. So uh, well, let's skip right over that. Stabbing, Chauvin stabbing comes at as the Federal Bureau of Prisons has faced increased scrutiny in recent years following the wealthier financier Jeffrey Epstein's quote-unquote suicide in 2019. It's another example of a, the agency's inability to keep even the highest profile prisoners safe. After Nasser's stabbing in, in Unibomber Ted Ted suicide at a federal medical center in June. An ongoing AP investigation has under uncovered deep, previously unreported flaws within the Bureau of Prisons, the Justice Department's largest law enforcement agency with more than 30,000 employees, 158,000 inmates, and an annual budget of about $8 billion. That's crazy. AP reporting has revealed rampant sexual abuse and other criminal conduct by staff, dozens of escapees, chronic violence, deaths, and severe staffing shortages that have hampered responses to emergencies, including inmate assaults and suicides. Bureau of Prisons Director Colette Peters was brought in last year to reform the crisis-plagued agency. She vowed to change the archaic hiring practices and bring a new transparency while emphasizing that the agency's mission is to make good neighbors, not good inmates. Testifying before the state judiciary, Committee uh, in September, Peters trouted steps she'd taken to overhaul problematic 
prisoners and beef up the internal affairs investigators, which obviously did nothing. This month, she told the House Judiciary Subcommittee that hiring had, had improved and that new hires were outpacing retirements and other departures. But Peters has also irritated lawmakers who, she, who said that she, she did not make good on her promise to be candid and open with them. In September, senators scolded her for forcing them to wait more than a year for answers to threatened questions and for claiming that she couldn't answer basic questions about agency operations, like how many correctional officers were on staff. So that's just crazy right there. How do you have an $8 billion budget and not have enough security for people that cannot even defend themselves in prison? Which is just a crazy situation entirely. How can you how can you sit there and honestly say that? It just does not make much sense to me. But what does make much sense to me is the spending that people are doing. So if we do look at this year's Black Friday, which actually just passed, and obviously today is Cyber Monday, online United States sales set a record on Black Friday as more shoppers opt to stay home. So obviously, if you were to see, um, if you were to see all of the deals that were happening on Black Friday, or if you were actually going into the stores, you can see that um, the stores were not even having the best deals. You can just go online and find it for a lot better anyway. Even on the regular day, you can find it for a lot better. So just going online to find what you actually wanted to buy anyway would just be a lifesaver because it's just making you save some more money on top of that um, because you were going to buy the product anyway. So right here, we can see, according to the Daily Wire, United States online sales on Black Friday spiked 7.5% from last year as more people chose to shop from the comfort of their homes instead of trekking out into uh, retail stores and fighting and getting a felony. Um, that's exactly what used to happen for some TVs. Shoppers spent a record $9.8 billion online on Black Friday, which was bolstered by online deals and discounts, according to Adobe Analytics. CNBC News reported the numbers came after online spending on Thanksgiving Day was up 5.5% from 2022, generating $5.6 billion. Um, quote, I think that people are going to spend on travel and leisure activities that might be online and not necessarily in stores, said Jimmy Lee, CEO of the Wealth Consolidating Group. The, exciting of, the excitement of waiting in lines on Black Friday, there's not much of that anymore. A lot of people would just rather sit at home and look for deals, Lee said. Forbes reported that 52% of United States customers plan to skip Black Friday shopping altogether, and another study found that this year, 68% of consumers were expected to shop online for holiday deals. Also, 66% would hunt for bargains on Cyber Monday. But what's the difference between Cyber Monday and Black Friday? The difference is nothing anymore because Black Friday is just Cyber Monday and Monday Cyber Monday is just Black Friday. It's the same exact thing. Online shopping for Black Friday was expected to bring nearly $10 billion. Retail companies that posted poor rating reports over the past year hoped that the holiday deals would boost their sales and offset the dismal year. Companies such as Target, Native, Harry's, Hershey's, Nike, and Apple are all trying to bring back conservative shoppers, many of them whom called for boycotts after the brands pushed transgenderism onto customers over the past year. As many shoppers try to avoid leaving their homes and giving money to woke companies uh, to avoid leaving their homes and avoid giving their money to woke companies over the holiday season, um, a lot of people are returning and going to other websites to find their deals so that they don't have to just go and um, give their money to woke corporations. 
So that's just, um, it's just very interesting how much money we're actually spending. And imagine if you're a credit card company around this time, this is when you make all of your money, like 3%, let's just say that 10%, 3% of $10 billion is multi-million dollars. That's crazy money right here. So you're making millions and millions and millions of dollars in one day just because of Black Friday. So I would love to have my own credit card. Like imagine having your own credit card and then now you're making that 3%. It's just craziness right here. But what is also craziness is uh, this reporting from the Project Veritas. So if we do look on Project Veritas, we can actually see a couple months back, we actually had a situation happen in Hawaii. Now, if I do recall correctly, Maui actually had their um, the water shut off they had the alert systems malfunction. They had everybody, ju everything just going so wrong. The response to this fire was abysmal. And they should be embarrassed about this response that they gave this fire. Now, if we continue, we can actually see that Maui's mayor's office actually said that the water was not shut off, which does not make any sense because if you ask people that were there, they said that the water was shut off and they could not stop the fire. We can actually look at Governor Green and Governor Green's office actually put out a statement and said, as far as we know, the water has not been ever an issue, hasn't been an issue ever. Um, Chris Burley, a Maui resident that says that the power company and the government just needs to be real honest and stop lying about what happened or what didn't happen. Lauren, which is also a Maui resident, said that, and I quote, I do remember some of my friends trying to bust the fire hydrants and there was no water coming out of it. It's just crazy because what that's, that's something that could have prevented Actually. right there. That's something that could have prevented this from actually killing so many people. Now, in Hawaii, we can see in the aftermath of the devastating August fire that claimed over 100 lives in Lorena, Maui, an independent journalist partnered with Project Veritas to investigate the claims of island residents who shared their water and electricity was not functioning on the morning of the deadly fire. Several residents shared frustration stemming from what they see as inconsistencies in the official account of the government's emergency response to the deadliest wildfire in modern United States history. Residents described waking up on the morning of August 8th to find their water was either shut off or barely functioning. This was hours before the fire was first re reported around 3 p.m. local time. Community, community members suspect that the water shutdown may have played a significant role in the rapid spread of the fire, which leveled the island. So with this being said, we do have a video that we're going to actually react to. So let's actually react to the citizen journalists actually interviewing people. Those aren't true, right? Everything was running. As far as I know. Yeah, the governor's office knows everything was running. Well, I can double check, but as far as I know, I, that has not, actually that, that hasn't been ever an issue. The governor suspended emergency laws in July. Um, I know there was some emergency proclamations put out um, relating to housing. Before, before the fire that happened in July. Yeah, that was several weeks, totally unrelated, obviously unrelated, weeks before. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, but no, they, there was an emergency proclamation put out in mid-July at some point. Yeah. They're claiming that the power was on the whole time. Well, it wasn't on the whole time. You know, what, what's the truth? You know, that's that's my question. Work canceled you? Yeah. Why? Because it was not, there was no electricity and the wind was really... So there was no electricity before the fire? Yeah. In the wake of the devastating fires in Maui, some residents have raised concerns about the circumstances surrounding the devastation including a claim and contradiction 
that the water supply and electrical power was intentionally turned off. Maybe the fire was intentional? Yeah, that's what I hear. And also, they said that when the fire was going on, there was no water. They turned off the water? Yeah, that's what they said. Lost your house? House business and job. Chris says he was struck by what he has been told by local officials, leading him to believe that there is more to the story than meets the eye. He claims that the local government is contradicting its own statements about the water supply being turned off. Okay, so yeah, obviously this is going to be a thing. The government likes to cover up what the failures at which they do, um, and they act like we're not going to notice anything. Like, obviously we're going to notice what you're doing. You actually killed us, the people. So obviously we're going to be mad about that situation. Also at the same exact time, people have to acknowledge that, um, I mean, with the first thing being correct, the government does not want to take accountability for their own mistakes. We have to acknowledge that at the same exact time, um, there's no exceptions for this. There's no, there's nothing that can be said about this that is going to make this fully justified. So the government can say all day long about all of the excuses that they have about this situation, but at the end of the day, it's their responsibility to protect us, the people, because they're in the power, because we thought that they were going to be a good fit for the role. So obviously the governor is going to tell all of the lies that he can because he's a politician. Obviously all of the administration's assistants have all the incentive in the world to lie um, because of the fact that if they don't lie, then they're going to lose their job. So it's just sad. It's a sad situation because hundreds of people died about uh, died from the situation. So if we can't be honest with ourselves, then we're never going to be honest at all. Um, continuing with the article here, we have several residents shared frustrations stemming from what they see as inconsistencies in the official accounts of the government's emergency response to the deadliest wildfire in modern United States history. Residents described waking up on the morning of August 8th to find their water was either shut off or barely functioning. This was hours before the fire was first reported around 3 p.m. local time. Community members suspect that the water shutdown may have played a significant role in the rapid spread of the fire, which leveled the island and claimed at least 115 lives. Others noted that an emergency housing proclamation signed by Governor Josh Green on July 17, 2023, just three weeks before the Maui fire, allowed the governor, governor to temporarily suspend several laws and granted additional emergency powers, including the ability to shut off water mains, gas, gas mains, electric, electric power, and other services. Um, this was number, this is 127A. Dash 14, and this is number six right here. So if you do want to look into that themselves, oh, actually, this is 6127A-13, additional powers in emergency period. So if you do want to look at that, that's number six. Continuing with the article, we here we have this journalist. This journalist held meetings with multiple representatives from the Maui mayor's office and the governor's office, all of whom clung to the official narrative that the water supply had not been interrupted. Following the blaze, the head of Maui's County's Water Department, John Stuffelbean, explained that water leaks and already destroyed structures caused water to pour from the system, leaving fire hydrants with little water pressure. But that also contradicts what we've heard in the video itself because of the fact that people were saying that there was no water. As a historic town in 
of Lahana continues to grapple with the devastating aftermath of, aftermath of these fires, community members continue to raise questions about the governor's emergency response. Stay tuned as Project Veritas continues to investigate. Okay, so like I said, this is a crazy situation already. People are coming out and saying stuff that's contradictive to what the people of Maui are actually saying. So you know what I say? I say that the government's lying. This is exactly when in doubt the government's lying when you have two conflicting pieces of information and you're like oh which one should i trust don't trust the government we never had an incentive in the history of the united states to actually trust the government except for maybe the founding fathers maybe we can trust the government at that point but other than that no i would not trust the government i'm good when people are saying something that's contradictive to what the government is coming out with, I trust the people more. Okay, with that being said, we do have another article from CBS News. We have two dead in a vehicle explosion at Rainbow Bridge in the United States-Canada border crossings. Officials say no sign of terrorism. So, as you may have heard, over the, over the last couple of days, there has been, or I would say last week, there has been a little situation at the, Can the Canada-New York border. A lot of people were at first saying that this was terrorism because it really did look like terrorism. This person was going like 50 miles per hour, got some airspeed, jumped up in the air, and then crashed into the border patrol station. So of course, at the time, people are saying, wait a second, this is terrorism. People are trying to blow up our, our border over here with Canada. And then at the same exact time, the FBI investigates a half a day later, they come out and say that it's not terrorism, even though two people were dead and we have some damage at our border. So it's like, what, what is this then? If people going inside of the Capitol building are going to get more time and be called a terrorist, then why come these people are not called a terrorist when they explode a border agency, a border building? That's not making much sense to me. So let's let's see what CBS News says. Two people were killed in a vehicle explosion Wednesday afternoon at Wayne Rainbow Bridge at a United States-Canada border crossing near Niagara Falls. In western New York, officials say that four United States-Canada border crossings in the region were temporarily closed as investigators responded to the situation. The victims were identified Friday by Ni Niagara Falls Police as Grand Island residents Kurt P. Villainy, 53, and his wife, 53-year-old Monica Villainy. The Rainbow Bridge crossing was reopened Thursday. The Canada Border Services Agency reported on social media. Multiple law enforcement sources confirmed to CBS News, two people died inside of the vehicle that exploded. A senior law enforcement official told CBS News that the nationals, nationalities of the people who were dead are not known yet. The two people who died were a married couple. The husband was driving and his wife was the passenger. United States law enforcement officials confirmed to CBS News on Wednesday night that the officials said that the vehicle was a Bentley, believed to be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, it is not known why the car exploded, but New York Governor Kathy Hochul says in a news conference Wednesday that at the time there is no sign of terrorist involvement in a horrific explosion. FBI Buffalo on Wednesday night said that it concluded its investigation of the incident and found no explosive materials or a terrorism nexus. The matter had been turned over to the Niagara Falls Police Department as a, as a traffic investigation. The FBI said in a statement, Hochul said that the vehicle was in cemented by the crash and nothing remains intact but its engine. 
She added that the pieces of the car were scattered over 13 to 14 border security boots, which is just crazy. Um, there had been conflicting early reports about which direction the car was traveling, but Wednesday afternoon, a senior United States law enforcement official told CBS that the car was coming from the United States side. The official said that it hits the customs station. Um, a short clip of the security footage posted by United States Customs and Border Control Patrol says that the car was speeding in air go airborne. So this was actually the video right here. We can show that. Um, you can see here that the border was just going as natural. And then boom, in the back, boom. I would say like 50 miles per hour. We'll play that again. 50 miles per hour, boom. And then crashes into the side of the building. So that's just crazy right there. And then you can see on Google where this went really wrong. So they were going way too fast, number one. And um, the launch point that they were using, you can actually see on Twitter, the launch point that they were using to get up in the air was actually this right here, which is just crazy because you would have to go so fast in order to do this. So I think what they were trying to do was they were trying to go so fast as to get over the border. And it looks like a, a dumb situation right here. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it is a really dumb situation. So what they were trying to do what they, was they were trying to go really, really fast from um, from the, you know, the actual street. They were trying to jump right over the border and then get into the United States. So obviously you cannot do that. So I don't know why people want to try to do this. It's just stupid every single time. So I, I don't know. People were saying that why are, why was this person going so fast? I think I solved it. It's just very simple. They just wanted to skip the line and just go over the United States. If they're saying that it is not, if they're saying that it is not terrorism, then that's exactly why. So with that being said, we're going to be digging into the media's takes. So like I said before, um, okay, so starting off with the media's takes we actually have a cnn article we have biden a pre-boomer is losing the young voters democrats need so of course because of the fact that he keeps ruining his reputation time after time um i mean it, it's just crazy he's not going to get any of the any of the votes from the i mean i'm not saying that he's not going to get any of the vote from gen z because gen z is the stupidest generation ever to be born but at the same exact time he's not going to get as many votes as he would like so this is from CNN right here. It was kind of funny when whoever posts Instagram photos for Biden celebrated the president's birthday this week with an image of Biden smiling in front of a cake with a bonfire of candles, presumably 81 on top of it. Turns out on your 146th birthday, you run out of space to put candles. The caption reads, really? So that's just, that's hilarious right here because I did not see the original post. Obviously I saw, obviously I saw this um like reposted, but now they're saying no internet connection, but I can go on Instagram. I don't know why. Okay, here we go. Okay, so you can see right here, it turns out for your, it turns out on your 146th birthday, you run out of space to put the candles. You can actually see right here um, that the candles are blooming um it's just crazy right here so they thought that this was actually funny you can actually see that there's just way too many candles obviously this is a big blunder for the biden campaign whoever is running his instagram account needs to actually get fired because this is not a good campaign strategy for him it's just a stumbling jumbling old man going up and down the stairs tripping while he's going and then we have his instagram actually saying that he's 146 years old i don't think this is this ugh, i don't think that this was the best thing for his campaign to actually do but actually i mean i, I can see both sides 
I don't think that it was the best thing for his campaign to do, but also at the same exact time, I think that it was a really funny thing for them to do because now I can make fun of Joe Biden even more. I don't think that they should have did this though because of the fact that it looks like the house, the White House is going to catch on fire. I obviously do not think that they should have put that many candles. I think that this was a big fail from them because there's no way to actually cover up the main age of what Joe Biden actually is because he's just so old. If you were to put 81 candles on the cake, then you were going to show off that he's 81 years old. But if you put a bunch of candles on the cake, then it looks like you're a goofball. So it's like they're looking at it like there's a there's not a lose-lose situation about it. There's actually a lose-lose situation. This was a lose-lose situation. So actually showing Joe Biden's real age was a lose-lose situation. So we do have one final article from the Daily Wire. We actually have state abortion bans result in 32,000 more baby babies per year, research shows. So births have been increased in every state with a, an abortion ban. So... New state abortion bans resulting in tens of thousands more babies born, being born every single year. A new analysis of data shows about 32,000 more babies were born every year due to a state abortion bans enacted since Roe v. Wade was overturned. According to an analysis published on Friday by the Institute of Labor Economics, Roe v. Wade, the landmark 1973 Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion nationwide was overturned in June late last year. Births have increased in every state that has an abortion ban, the analysis found, using birth data from Centers for Disease Control, so the CDC, in prevention, um, stretching from 2005 to June. Between a fifth and fourth of between a fifth and a fourth of women living in 14 states with an abortion ban who otherwise may have had an abortion did not get one. Data from the first six months of the year shows an average of 2.3% more babies were born in states with an abortion ban compared to states without an abortion ban. Analysis shows nationwide, however, the number of illegal, the number of legal abortions have remained about the same even increased slightly since the Supreme Court decision late last year. This is likely due to new clinics opening in states without bans and more ways to order abortion pills online. The groups that saw the biggest increase in births were women in their 20s, black women, and Hispanic women. These groups tend to be less able to afford the travel to get an out-of-state abortion, the researchers said. They are more likely to seek abortions. Um, driving distances to abortion clinics have a significant effect. The greater the increase of in the driving distance, the bigger the spike in the birth rate. Texas saw a 5.1% spike compared to states that had similar birth trends, did not pass an abortion. The average increase in driving distance to the nearest abortion clinic was 453 miles after Texas passed its ban, which is a good thing. Mississippi had 4.4% increase in births, and the driving distance there increased by an average of 240 miles. Abortion pills ordered online also appear to drive down the birth rate in certain states with bans. Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Louisiana had big increases in orders for abortion pills from Aid Access, a major overseas abortion pill provider. Researchers had expected the birth rate to jump higher than it did in those states. The institution of a lot of coverage of such data points is that it's a bad thing for there to be more children welcomed in the states with better, lo better laws than the in states with fast-track abortion. Christian Kawatz, the president of Students for Life of America, told the New York Times, a triumph in pro-life policies result in lives saved, she said. And exactly, I completely agree. So if, it, if we have more people being born, then that's an overall good thing for society because... 
A lot of people like to argue this fact that we do not have a a positive birth death um, replacement. We do not have enough people being replaced into society to actually replace the people that are dying. So we need to actually produce more people. We need to produce more babies and killing them off is not going to be the best thing for us. With that being said, we're going to sum up this episode here. If you did like this episode and you do want to see more episodes made by me and the Original Studios, subscribe down below and like this video because I do post new episodes of the show every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thank you all for watching and I hope they have a great rest of your day. Bye.